and we're live broadcasting on a microphone to every country in the world that doesn't have a firewall like China. Okay. Anyways, let's get into it, baby. Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan show. It's great to have you. It's always great to have you. I love you. If no one told you today, you're probably amazing in your own way. I mean, yes, you might be a lazy schmuck. Um, and that is why you tune into the Jonathan Kogan show so I can sift through all the information, the abundance of information and bring it to you on a daily basis to give you the amount of information you need to make the best decisions possible. I am your censorship czar. Okay. Just think of me as your protector. Okay. Protecting you from dangerous, miss, dis, al, pal, poo, pa, pee, po information. Okay. I'm protecting you because you must be protected because you can't handle information. It's too much. You're weak, you're soft, and you are a schmuck. You're not a schmuck. You're a lazy schmuck. Okay. Because you're a lazy schmuck, I go through all the information and I curate the top content from all over the web. Okay. The internet is a fantastic place with very harmful information. So please don't do your own research. Only listen to the Jonathan Cogan show. Otherwise you will be harmed, hurt, and you will need to go to your safe space. Okay. So just pay attention. So um, we're getting into BlackRock. Okay. Your unelected leader. Okay. Your true dictator. Okay. Larry Fink, Larry, Larry Fink, he talks like this. And he just wants to control the world and, and, and he just wants to move markets and, 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 and get his woke agenda all over the world because he's Larry Fink and he runs BlackRock and he manages 10 million, 10 trillion dollars and you will do as he says. Okay. And then we will go to Epstein Island and we'll go with Bill Gates and Melinda. I love abortions gates and have a blast. All right. But let's stay on topic. So lots going on. I'm sure you want to hear some takes about what's going on with the speaker thing. There's a lot of good stuff we can get to there, but we are focusing on your money. We're talking about investing the 60, 40 split historically 60 in equity, 40 in bonds that those days are over. And BlackRock is telling you to your face that there is a quote new regime. Okay. It's in their own reports. Unfortunately, what we have learned from the past three years is people are unwilling to read reports, unwilling to do their own research. And so therefore I do it for you and I bring it to you because I'm a great human being. Okay. And I like to give back. Okay. And I love my fellow peasants and that if I don't do this and we don't spread the word of truth, I'll be a slave one day and I'm not down with that. Okay. Maybe it's in the metaverse. I don't know. Nobody knows. We do not know. So. We are going to start, by the way, if you want to watch us on Twitter at KOGZ, we got a lot of watchers over there now. The Melinda French Gates episode um, went pretty viral pretty quickly. So super grateful if you found me there. If you haven't subscribed to the Jonathan Cogan Show, if you haven't subscribed to the Rumble channel, the channel is actually Ownership Economy, but you can look up the Jonathan Cogan Show. Also on YouTube, subscribe. If we get Rumble to 1,000, 1,000 subs by the end of the month, we're going to be doing a podcast every single day for the entire year, 2023. Also, if I made merch, would you buy merch? Think about that one. Ponder that. So we're going to get into BlackRock. This is one of the best uh, analyses, analysis, analyses of what's going on with your favorite father, Larry Fink. He's your father that you never voted for. He's your father you never knew you had. Larry, the human dictator probably terrible human being in his personal life, but we don't know that. That's an allegation that we are not willing to make. So Larry Fink, the CEO and the founder of BlackRock. Okay, here we go, baby. Um, but I came across this clip first before I get into it. Oh, by the way, this clip, I'm sorry to get off track. This is by Mark Moss. Mark Moss does incredible. Go subscribe to Mark Moss's YouTube channel. Mark Moss does a great show that wakes people up, particularly on money, finance, Bitcoin. Okay. And that's what we're going to be playing and analyzing here. But before I do that, Vivek Ramaswamy, okay, who wrote Woke Inc., who uh, is the founder and CEO of Strive Capital, taking on BlackRock. He is taking on the $10 trillion behemoth, twice the size of Germany, 
company, okay, that had that owns like I believe in five years they're going to own ninety percent of the Fortune five hundred. I believe that's what it is. Ninety percent of the Fortune five hundred, BlackRock will own. Uh, here's a little clip about uh, he was just on stage and gave uh, talked about how BlackRock is shaping the world on behalf of the the CCP CPC. The CCP sometimes goes by CPC, uh, Chinese Communist Party. So listen to this clip, and then we're going to get into Mark Moss's full video. Uh, but I just came across this clip, so I figured I'd start with it. Vivek Ramaswamy about how the CC China knows. Oh wait, the CCP builds a great wall to block companies who criticize China, but they roll out the red carpet for those who criticize the U.S. China knows this undermines our greatest geopolitical asset of all, America's moral standing on the global stage, and it's working. This just came out, so I'll play this clip, and then we'll get into the whole thing. It's from uh, uh, Philanthropy Roundtable. Here we go. Take it away, Vivek. What a name. What China has recognized is that this ESG game is actually an asset. It's actually a way to weaken the West while simultaneously relatively strengthening China. Why? Because the very firms that will tell Exxon and Chevron, who, who I wrote a letter to the board of about a month or two ago, they will tell them to cut oil production effectively through emissions caps, through scope three emissions reduction targets. Yet while they still own firms like PetroChina on the other side of the world, they don't apply those constraints. They don't say a peep. And the reason why is that the CCP, if you apply an ESG constraint to a Chinese company, they will tell you to close the door on your way out. <laughs> but if you actually apply those same constraints to the United States, they effectively roll out the red carpet. And so in a certain way, it's not just hypocrisy. If it was just hypocrisy, I, w I wouldn't merit a great degree of commentary because there's so many ways in which corporations and, and organizations are hypocritical. But this is actually a product. And I know it sounds conspiratorial. It's, it's a conspiracy reality because it's hiding in plain sight. If you listen to Xi Jinping, he's basically articulated as much as his strategy when he is pressed on you know, the Uyghur human rights crisis that you just mentioned by the U.N., the first thing he often says is that Black Lives Matter shows that the United States is no better, which would be a laughable idea if it weren't for the fact that our own corporations, through the S prong of ESG, lend implicit credibility to that claim, relentlessly criticizing slavery 250 years ago in the United States, if you're Nike, but without actually saying a peep about actual slavery in the present day that you use to produce your sneakers that you sell to $250. So it's not just the hypocrisy. It is part of the intentional design of the CCP to attack the, the greatest geopolitical asset of the United States of all. Mm. And that is not our nuclear arsenal. It is our moral standing on the global stage. And so anyway, when the people who are always known to critique injustice are always critiquing the U.S. without saying a peep about China, it actually has the effect of creating that. So, you know, on this podcast, I just tell you the truth straight up, no matter how harsh it is. I love virtue signalers. I love the ones that are virtue singlers and they're dumb as shit. I love them. I love them. They bring me such weird emotions. It's so, it's so weird. Okay. They love to virtue signal. And in their own life, they like, they, they virtue signal from like an iPhone that was made from slaves. So the Uyghurs are in China. Okay. And, uh, they are in modern day concentration camps camps where if you go to like a top floor and try to jump to commit suicide, you land in a net. It is suicide proof and they work you like a dog. They sterilize you so you can't reproduce and you pump out iPhones or whatever products they want to make money on you. It is a literal concentration camp. How many times do you hear LeBron James talk about that? How many times do you hear LeBron James talk about that? Fantastic basketball player, but moral compass supposedly been paid uh, upwards of a billion dollars to never talk about the Uyghurs in China. Don't know if it's true. Have no idea. But do you ever hear him talking? He loves supporting all social justices in America. But does he ever talk about the Uyghurs? Does he ever talk about slave camps where his products come from? Does he? Find a video. Send it to me. DM it to me on Twitter. At KOGZ. I would love to see it. All right. So it is a strategic plan to bring down the United States. It's fifth generation warfare. It's amazing. They're doing an incredible job. You need to applaud them because to bring down an empire, the biggest empire, the most strongest empire of all time, United States of America, is no easy task. But it is, like Brett Weinstein said, it's a pay-to-play system. And people realize that, foreign adversaries, and they are now paying to play and take us down with the number one the number one group on the top of that list, Larry Fink and BlackRock. Larry Fink, Larry Fink. Larry Fink and BlackRock, Okay. 
BlackRock, your unelected leader, reshaping the world. This is the best analysis. We're going to go through it. It's called How BlackRock Runs the World and What They Say Comes Next by Mark Moss. Please go subscribe to his YouTube channel. I can't promote it enough. This is an incredible walkthrough. So let's get started about BlackRock and the empire and the power they have over your life and how the way we handle money is now different than it was for the last 40 to 50 years. Take it away, Mark. All right, BlackRock. I'm calling them the empire. This is uh, borrowed from Star Wars, you know, the empire, you know, the empire and the rebels and whatnot. So we have the Death Star. This is BlackRock. And as I said in the intro, they are the most influential organization in the world. And I'm saying they're even more influential than the Federal Reserve and more influential and powerful than the government, which you probably say, Mark, that's insane because the government could just shut them down, throw them in prison. You know, the Fed could defund them and all those things, which is true. They could. So they aren't as powerful as the government. But who controls or who pulls the strings in the government? And then we go back to BlackRock. OK, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. As I said in the intro, uh, over $9 trillion in assets under management. It fluctuates a little bit day by day, uh, but it's more than double the GDP of Germany, which is the fourth largest country. So they're massive, massive, massive. They're at the top of this pyramid. Now, just real quick, I like to think of this as fascism or really a better word would be corporatism. So a lot of people say, oh, Mark, this is capitalism run bad. This is why capitalism is no good. We need to replace capitalism. Of course, World Economic Forum wants to replace capitalism with what they call stakeholder capitalism. We'll come back to that. But this is not capitalism. Capitalism is free markets, free and voluntary exchange, and private property. What this is is fascism or better off corporatism. The, uh, you know, the, the famous fascist Mussolini, he famously said here that fascism should be more appropriately called corporatism because it's a merger of state and corporate power. And so we have state, we have the government, and then corporate, BlackRock, and their power has combined. And so fascism, corporatism, whatever you want to call it, that's what I'm seeing here. All right, now that we've teed that up, let's look at this. Okay, so again, the most influential company more than the government. And that's because they're pulling the strings inside the government. So team Obama, Biden, what are we talking about here? Well, you probably are already aware if you're not <laughs> welcome to the world. Um, the government is sort of like a revolving door with corporations, corporatism. So the corporations go into the government, the government goes back to the corporations and they have this revolving door. So if you're working at a pharmaceutical company like Pfizer, for example, then you go work in the FDA and then you work in the FDA for a while, then you go back to Pfizer or whatever food company. And then the same in Shout you know, out Goldman Scott Sachs Godley. goes work for the government, government goes back to Goldman Sachs. And this is exactly what happens with BlackRock. So now they've taken all the people that used to be at BlackRock and they've put them into the most powerful positions in the government. I'm going to break this down for you. Now we have, uh, let's start with Brian Deese here, for example. You might remember this guy, Brian Deese. Uh, he kind of went viral because on television, I'm going to show you a clip in a second. On television, he said <laughs> the, the reason why gas prices are so high and people need to get used to it is because we have to protect the new liberal world order. You might remember that. And who is Brian Deese? Well, uh, oh, he is National Economic Council under Joe Biden. He was the inaugural chair of the White House Competition Council, but it goes back. He previously served as senior advisor to President Obama. So he was there with Obama. This is why I'm saying Obama-Biden, follow along. Um, and Deese served as the global head of sustainable investments at BlackRock. So he worked for Obama. Um, as a senior advisor to Obama, then he went to go work um, at BlackRock in sustainable investing, and now he's back in the Biden. So that's Brian Deese. We can see here the next one up. We have uh, Wally, Wally Edimo, and he is uh, the United States Deputy Secretary of the Treasury. So pretty powerful, Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, the first president of the Obama uh, Foundation. So he worked for the Obama Foundation for a while also served during the Obama administration as the deputy national security advisor, pretty high up. Um, and he was the deputy directory of the national economic council. So he worked under the Obama administration and now he's um, second in command at the treasury under the Biden administration. But Mark, what about BlackRock? Well, let's take a look at that. We can see here, he also worked at BlackRock for two years, serving as senior advisor and chief of staff 
for the firm's CEO, Larry Fink. So he worked second in command to Larry Fink, Obama, second in command to Larry Fink at BlackRock, and now second in command at the U.S. Treasury. Pretty powerful. Um, he served as the United States Deputy Secretary of the Treasury in the Biden administration. He's heavily involved in sanctions enforcement. Okay, so pretty powerful. The, the revolving door runs deep. We have uh, good old uh, Michael Pyle. So he's also a BlackRock alum. He developed neoliberal policies for Obama. So he worked under the Obama administration. Then he went to work for BlackRock. And now he's working under the vice president, Harris, as the chief economist. So he's the chief economist, a pretty high position for the vice president after working under Obama and BlackRock. So you can see um, these people are all embedded themselves in there. Now, what about President Biden himself? Well, we can see now, I know a lot of you guys question some of my news sources. Um, you can just pause this, get any of this text and just Google search it. You'll find the exact source for this. This comes from The Atlantic, which is a left, very left leaning uh, publication. And they talk about here about Biden, what he said himself. So in January, January before Biden ran for office, he went to the New York offices of BlackRock, the majority investment, the major investment firm for a meeting with Larry Fink, the CEO. So Biden went to go see Larry Fink, the CEO, the kingmaker, before he decided if he was going to run for president. Fink said to Biden, quote, I'm here to help. What does that mean? Well, put me in. I'll run your staff for you. I'll run your economic policy for you, whatever you want to call it. Biden took it as an offer to sign on with the campaign. So he brought Larry Fink on fill a bunch of positions, and Biden decided to run for office. And, of course, he's the president of the United States now. Uh, now, let's watch this video real quick so you can understand there's something much bigger at play. Let's go ahead and roll this clip. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Our careful, and I mean careful attention, to building and sustaining the liberal international world order with the United States and Europe at its core. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there. And we've got to lead it. We've got to unite the rest of the free world. Because now, progressively, a lot of people would like to see there, there are two orders in this world. This is a huge mistake. Even for both the U.S. and China. We need a single global mm -hmm. order. All right, so you can see the new world order, the liberal world order. We need to keep one world order. I wanted to show you this clip to show you how important all this is. The Obama-Biden um, campaign administration, together with Her the dog. Davos Euro administration, they're all working collectively. That The last clip was President Macron of France saying, we need to have just one global superpower. We can't have two. Now, probably below on this video, there's probably a warning. This came on the video of YouTube videos that I actually pulled this from saying that the new world order is a conspiracy theory. Well, I just showed you video clips of them actually saying it themselves. So if President Macron and Biden and Brian Deese are part of it, maybe they're part of the conspiracy <laughs> theorists. I don't know. But that is a disclaimer. I don't know why. All right. Now, evading oversight. So how is it that BlackRock has been able to get so big and evade oversight? Well, one... They control all the main positions under the president's administration. But also, they're evading oversight because technically they're not a bank. So in the 2008 great financial crisis, the crash, we had lots of banking reform that happened. But that applies to banks. But BlackRock is not technically a bank because they don't actually make loans and they, they don't take customer deposits. So they sort of evade that. There was a congressional push to include asset managers like BlackRock, um, such as BlackRock and Vanguard funds under the post-2008 Dodds-Frank law as, quote, systematically important financial institutions or CIFIs. A huge lobbying push from BlackRock ended it. Quick little note. So Larry Fink loves you. Wanted to bring asset managers in there because they're too big to fail. If they go down, the largest asset manager in the world, $10 trillion, that's going to cause massive pain. So they wanted to bring them in under this act. But, of course, massive lobbying pushed it back. Nope, we don't want the oversight. Now, it's not just in the United States that they have the influence. It's not just at the Fed. It's not just in the presidential administration. It's overseas as well. So here we have Stanley Fisher. He was the vice chair. Well, first of all, he's an Israeli-American, dual citizen, Israel, 
and American. Uh, he was the vice chair of the Federal Reserve from 2014 to 2017. And he was also the governor of the Bank of Israel. So governor of Bank of Israel and the Federal Reserve of the United States. He held both positions. He previously served as first deputy um, at the IMF, International Monetary Fund, and chief economist of the World Bank. Some pretty big global influence there. Uh, Barack Obama nominated Fisher to be vice chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, which we talked about. And he's also a senior advisor at BlackRock. Hmm. IMF, World Bank, Bank of Israel, uh, Federal Reserve, Obama. You get it. Uh, massive cooperation internationally uh, with Israel and the United States and BlackRock. We have uh, Hildebrand right here. He's a Swiss banker and he's vice chairman of BlackRock. So he was a Swiss banker. And he's with BlackRock. He was the head of the Swiss Central Bank, the Swiss National Bank, and part of the group of students that went through the World Economic Forum in Davos, the Young Global Leaders. World Economic Forum, works at BlackRock, and the Swiss National Bank, the Swiss Central Bank. Are you starting to see this? We also have Gene Bovin, head of the BlackRock Investment Institute, leverages BlackRock's expertise and produces proprietary research, or probably through his buddy-buddy connections. He served as deputy governor of the Bank of Canada. So now we have the Bank of Switzerland, we have Israel, we have Canada, we have the United States. Okay, so you see all the connections in all these different governments and central banks. What about the Federal Reserve themselves? Well, they uh, put a brand new team into place and the uh, BlackRock got in bed with the Federal Reserve uh, to create a bailout plan before there was even a crisis. So you may not be aware, I'm going to show you in a second, how involved they were on the pandemic crisis. But what you probably don't know is that the plan for the bailout for the crisis actually happened before the actual crisis itself. So let's take a look at that. We can see here that uh, uh, here there's a plan called Going Direct, they call it. And that's the financial bailout plan that was designed and authored by former central bankers and people that are now on the payroll at BlackRock. So they used to work at the Fed, now they work at BlackRock. They authored this plan called Going Direct. The plan was rolled out in August of 2019 at the G7 Summit of Central Bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They meet there every single year, months before the public was aware of any financial crisis. So you weren't aware of the financial crisis, but they were the G7 countries meeting and they put this plan into place. The BlackRock plan, as it's called, calls for blurring the lines between government fiscal policy and central bank monetary policy. Hmm. It says BlackRock has now been hired by the Federal Reserve, by the Bank of Canada, and by Switzerland's central bank. Didn't we just say that they had people from Canada and from Switzerland and the Fed there? Yeah. So they were hired by the Fed, by the Bank of Canada, and by the Sweden's central bank to implement key features of this new plan that they authored. I wonder if it might be favorable for them. Let's keep digging in. The authors wrote, quote, in a downturn, the only solution for a more formal and historically unusual coordination of monetary and fiscal policy is to provide effective stimulus. Now, effective, meaning we need to put the stimulus into the right place. What would be considered the right place? Oh, in the assets that we control, maybe. Let's take a look and see if, if that's right. Well, what we can see here is that when the pandemic broke out, it says that this all mediated through the financial system. The Fed buys the ETFs from the big banks and they are using a sponsor. They have to use a sponsor because the Fed can't buy this directly. So they have to use a middleman or a sponsor. In this case, an asset manager, giant. Oh, like BlackRock, the author of the bill. Surprising, right? It says, here's a convenient list of the sales from the banks and the ETFs being held. I don't have that list ready for you, but all the ETFs. And of course, who runs most of the ETFs? So I just want to make sure you've heard that clearly because what he said was really important. They created a rescue plan, okay? An economic bailout plan for an economic crisis due to a pandemic prior to a pandemic happening. That is either unbelievable foresight or that is corruption at the highest level. I, it's one or the other. It's pretty binary. Corruption at the highest level or incredible foresight of predicting something that happens once every hundred years. Which one do you think it is? iShares. If you've seen the word iShares appearing 
Um, it shows up in eight of the ETFs listed. Those are BlackRock, right? That's BlackRock. It says of the 1.58 billion in holdings, half of it, 746 million, came from BlackRock ETFs. So they got the money from the Fed to put into the system. And where did it go? To buy their own ETFs, of course. So BlackRock, as the sponsor, as the middleman, spending the government, spending the Fed's money, as the sponsor for the Fed, made 47% of its purchases in BlackRock ETFs. Of course they did. Why wouldn't they? Would you be surprised? Of course not. Now, it's not just the BlackRock ETFs that did good. As a matter of fact, it says investors knowing that the Fed is about to buy a lot of BlackRock iShares investment grade corporate bonds, ETFs, also known as LQD, they dumped $1 billion into it in anticipation. So the investors saw that BlackRock was in a situation knowing they would probably put their own that, that money into their own assets. And so investors piled in front-running what BlackRock was doing. Sure enough, the biggest holding in this initial set of Fed purchases happened to be LQD, which is, of course, BlackRock's um, ETF. Now, executives at BlackRock know where those purchases went before the public. Of course, they're the ones making the decisions, putting the money. They don't tell you until the quarterly filing comes out. So they knew before it went public. Um, it says that May 29th release just went out, and the next one won't be out until June 29th, so they could trade on any purchases made in late May well before they are publicly released. So they're trading on all this information, or what you may consider insider information, well before, months before, it's released to the public. Now, you would think that would be illegal. Remember, Martha Stewart went to jail for insider trading, but it says here that senior executives are exempt from this cooling off period and will have instant access to this market moving information. So, you know, just like uh, the people in the, the Senate and the House, the, like the lawmakers, the legislators, they're exempt. Well, the senior executives, they're also exempt. They get yeah, to trade their own book before you know about it. The arrangement benefits the company in a number of ways. <laughs> it benefits them in a lot of ways, to be honest here. First, the Fed buys its ETFs directly. Second, the rest of the market plows into those ETFs, anticipating that the Fed's going to purchase them. So first, they get to buy them. Then they get the market to come in and buy them on top of it. Third, there are executives that sit above the company's firewalls and may have access to information about all of these transactions before they happen. Hmm, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, it sounds good if you're um, BlackRock and they're senior executives. What we can see here is that Fed Chair Jerome Powell, buddy buddy with Larry Fink, the CEO, had four private phone calls with BlackRock CEO since March as BlackRock managers upwards of, it manages 25 million of Jerome Powell's personal money. And then it landed three no-bid deals with the Fed. So it won the bid with the Fed to receive all this money and place it out there, no bid, meaning they didn't take other bids. There was no competition. So BlackRock, Larry Fink, meets with Jerome Powell, manages Jerome Powell's money, and then Jerome Powell gives him three no-bid contracts to take the money and do as they see fit. Um, Jerome Powell doubled his money. I think he went from $11 million to $25 million in that year that this all happened, all right? So very lucrative for him, but what about us? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll show you what BlackRock says is gonna happen next year so we can be prepared and we can get on the inside. But let's dig a little bit further, first of all. The World Economic Forum, we talk about this all the time and they're, of course, great reset plan. Now, BlackRock and Larry Fink go deep with the World Economic Forum. As a matter of fact, you can see lots of pictures. Larry Fink is there speaking at every event. In 2019, Larry Fink and BlackRock joined the board of the World Economic Forum, and they pushed the World Economic Forum's sustainable ESG goals. Now, I've talked about this a lot before. The sustainable development goals are the same that the United Nations has had in the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. This is not conspiracy theory. This is directly off the United Nations website. Go look it up. They have an agenda by 2030 to do these things under sustainable development. And it's the same, but a little bit different of what the World Economic Forum is, is, uh, is doing. Now, what they're doing is they're using the capital markets or they're using the asset managers like BlackRock to push this through, through the banking system. Now, we can see Mark Carney, arguably 
the most connected guy, maybe behind Larry Fink, um, previous head of Bank of Canada, Bank of England, um, UN Special Envoy, and for the World Economic Forum as well. Um, in his book, he said that uh, in, a, in the new world, uh, it will be severely constrained with choice. You're going to have less flying, you're going to have less meat, and you're going to have more inconvenience. In his agenda, the objectives are, in fact, already being enforced. So these are the Sustainable Development Goals. They're already being enforced, not by legislations. They're not passing laws, not democratic, not democratic elections, not passing laws, not by legislation, but by the application of non-governmental, that is, non-democratic, you didn't vote for it, pressure on the corporate sector by what's called sustainable finance. So Larry Fink's got the money, and if you want it, then you better meet his objectives so of sustainable finance. you didn't vote for this, but you're going to get it. And by the way, when it says you're going to have severely, severely constrained choice, less flying, less meat, which you hear a lot from these people, more inconvenience. He left out one part that says right after, and more poverty. It says, quotes, assets will be stranded. You Assets will be stranded. Used gasoline-powered cars will be unsaleable. Inefficient properties will be unrentable. He promises. They're telling you what's going to happen. They're saying to your face, they are banking, no pun intended, they are banking on you, not doing your own research like you probably haven't done for the past few years, which is why you come to the Jonathan Cogan Show. And they're banking on you just droning through life, not paying attention to one day you go, I wish, I wish, I wish I did. I wish, I wish I did my own research. Well, this is it. You do your own research or all of a sudden you get clocked in the face again. And we don't want you to get clocked in the face because we want you to protect your nose, your eyes, your mouth, everything. Okay. The Jonathan Koga show loves you no matter who you are, no matter where you live. That is the straight, honest to God truth. We aren't religious. We're not political. We aren't anything. We are pro-human. We are apolitical and we love life. That's it. That's it. And we all, oh, we love truth and that's about it. And that's still weird to say. Designed to starve non-compliant companies of funds thus rendering them, as Carney puts it, quote, climate roadkill. A key instrument is, of course, stakeholder capitalism. So if we take a look at stakeholder capitalism, BlackRock's Larry Fink on the launch of a center for stakeholder capitalism. So he says we have to harness the power of both the public and the private sectors. Back to fascism or corporatism. They're saying it right here. They just don't call it that. They call it public and private. Same thing, right? But what is the Center for Stakeholder Capitalism? Well, on the World Economic Forum website, um, you can see I have the logo right here. You can find this handy matrix right here. And so we have what we call considered capitalism or shareholder capitalism, they call it, is that the business is there to increase profits and for the shareholders, the owners. Yeah, surprise. Owners start a business to give themselves profit. But what they wanted to have is what's called stakeholder capitalism, where all stakeholders matter equally. Now, what's all stakeholders? Well, they say that um, the community and the environment and the world all has a stake in what this business does. And so now this business can't just be out for its owners or its shareholders. Now it has to be um, following the guidelines of all the stakeholders, which is basically everybody in the world. Well, how do you quantify that? How do you quantify what the... Um, demands are, well, you need a, a measurable objective, and that's called ESG. And so they have to be environmental, socially, and they have to have proper governance. Now, what do those entail? Well, it entails whatever they say. So net zero, Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, woke capital. Peasants should uh, own no nothing and have fuel. no privacy, and they should never be happier, or they should be happier. Whatever. Peasants should get nothing that they want and listen to us. The elites, the black rock, you peasants deserve nothing. You will eat the bugs. They say it to your face. They're being serious. That's the, that's the crazy part. They're being serious and you think they're not. That's the bizarre thing. Whatever it happens to be, and those are quantifiable. And if you don't meet those criteria, then you become economic roadkill, as they say. So this is what's happening. This is the agenda. And it's scary. Like I said, the plan is already cracking apart. It's already cracked. There's lots of pushback where people are pushing back with their money. They're pulling their money away from evil corporations like BlackRock 
and you should too. Don't give them your money. Learn to manage it on your own or give it to other asset managers. There's one that's recently popped up called Strive Asset Management that's trying to compete or against to BlackRock. Or donate to the $5.99 a month. Support the pod. Also a good place for your money. Patreon.com forward slash ownership economy. Support the pod. Show some love. I love you. Interest or manage your money on your own. There's options there. But it also highlights how we can push back and win on this if we vote with our money or what I'm calling building out the parallel economy. I'll talk about that in a minute. All right, but BlackRock's forecast, what do they say is going to happen in 2023? We want to know because we want to front run it or invest along with them so we can get rich like Jay Powell, right? So they say that there's a new regime coming. Now, I say this all the time. The world we're going into is not the same as the world we're leaving behind. So what is this new regime? The four-decade period, the last 40 years, of largely stable activity and inflation is now behind us. So whatever's happened the last 40 or 50 years, that was a once in a By the way, if you're period. not watching this, he's reading BlackRock's report. This is from BlackRock's own report of their own forecast, okay? He's quoting it directly. That's over. So we're not going back to that, all right? The new regime of greater economic and market volatility is now playing out. So what do we expect in the future, next year and beyond? Lots more volatility. Lots of prices going up and down. A lot more shortages of products. Uh, market volatility, all that. And it says here that central banks are deliberately causing recessions. This is BlackRock. BlackRock says this. Central banks are deliberately causing recessions. And of course, Jay Powell tells us this all the time that his goal is to crush demand or make you feel broke. It says here, a key feature of this new regime, the one that we're going into, remember, whatever your financial advisor tells you, just invest for the long term, stay in the market, 60-40 bond split. That's all old. That was for the old regime. There's a new regime. You have to get on board with this. We are in a world shaped by production constraints. So the world is going to have a lot more production constraints moving forward, a lot more supply. Um, restrictions. We're going to have a lot more onshoring, nearshoring. All of this has to get rebuilt. That's why inflation is so high. And that's why I talk about I all actually the time. want I to read a couple more that he didn't quote here that's on here. He says, so they're deliberate. The central banks are deliberately causing recessions by over tightening policy to try to rein in inflation, even though they're not trying to contract the money supply. So it's just a, it's a fake story that they're, that they're increasing rates. They're doing it to cause the recession to crush demand. Raising interest rates crushes demand. It has nothing to do with inflation. To tame inflation, you must contract the money supply and force the big banks to have a certain amount of reserves. So that they're not fighting inflation. Otherwise, they would contract the, the M2 money supply. That's not what they're doing. And it says, we see central banks eventually backing off from rate hikes as the economic damage becomes clear. They are going to crush demand so hard in your face. So many people are about to lose their jobs. So many people are about to lose everything they have. It's going to be bananas. He says, or they say, we expect inflation to cool, but stay persistently higher than central bank targets of 2%. Repeated inflation surprises have sent bond yields soaring, crushing equities and fixed income. Such volatility stands in sharp contrast to the great moderation era, which is what we just came from. Okay. And then uh, the last part is uh, a new feature, of the, uh, a key feature of the new regime, we believe, is that we are in a world shaped by production constraints. The pandemic shift in consumer spending from services to goods caused shortages and bottlenecks. Aging populations led to worker shortages. We talk a lot about population uh, decline, especially in China and most of the world, except for really the United States with, with millennials. But there's a massive productivity shortage because of how old the populations are. In China, there's more six-year-olds than there are 50, than there are 40, than there are 30, than there are 20, than there are 10. Smaller, 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 smaller. And this is pretty, this is pretty uh, equivalent across the whole world. The United States actually has a lot of millennials, which is unique. Um, so, and then that means uh, that they can't produce as much as before. Although I believe AI and automation will probably make up for a lot of this. That's my little conflicting theory that that will make up for a lot of the aging population. And we won't probably see this. But nevertheless, the population is definitely shrinking because people didn't have kids at the replacement rate, which is like 1.7, 1.8, especially with the one-child policy in China. And so you're seeing population collapses. I believe China's population will half by 2100, which is crazy. They have like 1.5 billion people. Um, and uh, India has a bit younger of a population. I'm very, very bullish on India. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a real thing, and we talk about it all the time. All right. I
my bad. We'll get back to this. I didn't mean to cut it off, but it was important. The lowest inflation we'll see for the rest of the decade. Now, nothing goes up or down in a straight line. So inflation goes up, comes down a little bit, up, 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 and down. All right, so that's part of the new regime. Now, what else? They also said that you have to understand that there's a brutal trade-off coming. So central bank policy rates are not the tool to resolve production constraints. So the reason why prices went up on food and on oil was not because there was too much demand. There weren't too many buyers of it. It's that the production constraints, we had a drop in supply. Now, the central banks, their policy rates are not the tool to fix that. If we have a, if we have a shortage of supply, the, the goal would be to get more supply. But they can't get more supply, so they're trying to crush demand. But as Blacker said, that's not the tool. So they either, they're going to have to either trade off one or the other. They're either going to get inflation back to 2% targets by either crushing demand. So that means crushing your retirement account, crushing the value of your home by crushing demand, or they're going to have to live with more inflation. And that's my bet. I believe the Fed is going to just live with more inflation. They're going to have to. That's the world that we're going into. All right, so we're going to have more inflation. We know the world's going to change. Part of the reason why three main factors are this, I've been talking about this in many videos, we see three long-term keeping production capacity constrained. One, aging populations. This is one of the problems that we're facing moving forward is that the populations in the developed world, China's the worst, mostly bad. Um, the U.S. is uh, looking a little bit better, but most of the developed world has aging populations that are going to time out. We don't young people coming up. And so what we're really facing is population decline. That means continued worker shortages in many major economies, which leads to supply constraints. We're also number two, persistent geopolitical tensions. What's happening with Russia and Ukraine, what's happening in China, Taiwan, what's happening with Israel, Iran. This is not, again, just something new that's going to be resolved and we're going to go back to normal. No, we're going to continue to have geopolitical tensions. I just we want to correct that. It's from Iran. If anyone's listening from Iran, I wasn't associated with that mince pronunciation or whatever, whatever. Iran, we love you here and we pronounce your country correctly. Centralized world into a decentralized world, into a multipolar world. That's going to continue. It's going to rewire globalization and supply chains pushing inflation back up. Number three, the transition of net zero carbon emissions. They're going to continue to try to shut down our cheap and readily available um, fossil fuel supply and move us to inconsistent, unreliable, and very expensive green energies. So they're going to continue to do this transition, which is going to cause energy supply and demand mismatches. Energy supply and demand mismatches. When there's supply demand mismatches, what happens? Oh yeah, prices go back up. When the price of energy goes up, everything goes up. If I'm a factory manufacturing widgets, but my energy prices go up, my widget price goes up as well. So what worked in the past isn't going to work anymore. The world we're going into is not the one we're leaving behind. That's what I keep saying. All right. So what do we do about this? Mark, Mark, you're giving me the problem. The world's going to change. All right, we're going to a new regime. What am I going to do? How do I front run this? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, there's a new playbook. And so we need new tools. I believe there's a new world being built. And there's, a, there's this giant opportunity in the parallel economy. So the way that we invest is going to be different. Also, the business opportunities are going to be different. I'm going to hold a three-day event where I'm going to have a bunch of speakers and panelists and experts and explain what this new parallel economy is, how you can take advantage of it, how you can well, invest free in it, promo. how you can convert your business or start a, a new business. I think it's the biggest show opportunity at your service. we have. And We'd like to help other creators. back on this. So this is how BlackRock is starting to crumble right now because – Parallel we love creators here. Built like Strive Asset Management. So I'm going to, there's a link down below if you want to check it out. Sign days, up. We're going to go through all this. He's good. I'm going to tell you all about this opportunity and how to invest in it. So if you really want to know. However, what are we going to do with our investments? Well, there's a new playbook, and this is, again, from BlackRock. So the one thing that we have to know is that there's going to be more frequent changes. This is per BlackRock. So the days of, again, time in the market, just put it in there, wait for 50 years, buy your index funds, 60-40 bond split. That's, that's over. Right. That, that, that's over. That's the old regime. The new regime is there's going to be more frequent changes. There's going to be massive volatility. And so we need to be able to in and out. We need to go long. We need to go short. We need to be able to ride the waves of volatility. We also have to have new investment strategies. So those new investment strategies are, again, not just thrown in a 60-40 portfolio or a mutual fund and just sitting back for 40 years. Now we need to have more granular views. So right now, energy is doing really good. Or maybe commodities will do really good tech is down, right? And so instead of being so broadly focused, we have to look very granular at things. Even with real estate, it's not going to be 
real estate in the United States, it's going to be, what about Tampa, Florida versus San Francisco, California? San Francisco is the worst real estate in the nation right now. Tampa, Florida is one of the best. And so we're going to have to look at it much more granularly. We're going to have to look at sectors. So energy, specifically uranium, for example, specifically in enrichment, whatever. Uh, and we have to look at regions, Tampa, Florida versus San Francisco. We also need to look at sub-asset asset classes. So again, energy. By the way, not just- I believe it's LA uh, and New York and Cleveland are the first, Cleveland is, are the first cities to become quote, 15 minute cities where you stay in this small area with everything. Cleveland's becoming a 15 minute city, right? Where you cannot leave. You get like 50 passes a year and they check your license plate, no gas vehicles. They're building 15 minute cities. And and that's one of them. Just wanted you to know. Energy, how about uranium, right? And not just uranium, but how about this new company that's building these uranium reactors, for example. So sub-asset classes, not broad exposure. Now they give us a couple of playbooks that we can take a look at. So it says right here, we are here. So right now they say that there is not enough damage in the price. So what's going to happen? So remember, they said that the, the central banks are trying to crash the markets. They're saying that it is not priced in yet. So that means they believe there's going to be more drawdowns in the markets. So risk off damage is not priced in is what they're saying right here. And so in the equities market, that's stocks, um, they're short. In the credit markets, they believe that they're a little bit positive on that. Um, now we can look at a little bit more granular view if you want to look at stocks and equities. Now we can see, for the most part, they're short all of that. Um, in developed markets, they're short, they're underweight. The United States, they're short or underweight. In Europe, they're underweight. In the UK, they're underweight. In Japan, China, emerging markets, and Asia, they're neutral. So. They're, they're a little bit neutral. They're not really bullish or positive on any of the equities, neutral on a few countries and uh, underweight on most of the developed countries. That was developed markets, United States, Europe, and the UK. So that's the plan. You need to be tactically managing your portfolio. I've been writing a financial. All right. So thank you, Mark. That's a really important take. We are changing. The, the economy is changing from what we Basically, anyone who's alive today is used to a different type of economy. And so I need to bring that news to you so you can make the best decisions possible because it's a pro-peasant podcast, unlike corporate media, which is pro-corporations and pro-elites and anti-peasants, anti-freedom, anti-love, pro-hate. Okay. And you'll see the people who buy into the corporate media are more filled with hate too. And they, 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 they spew hate against other people on Twitter. They, they, they send hateful text messages. They're just more full of anger. People who buy into corporate media are just more angry. People who are pro freedom, pro human, uh, you know, pro, pro individual choice are much happier and more, more forgiving. So just something to see. I'll play this last clip. This is, uh, I thought this was funny. This is a uh, a Seinfeld clip, very short clip, but uh, it was on uh, Twitter, and it was uh, it says it says what critical thinkers endured during COVID. It's a minute twenty two. If you remember this this Seinfeld episode, it's pretty funny. Uh, here we go. Okay, you're checked in. Yeah, thank you. Here's your AIDS ribbon. Uh, no thanks. You don't want to wear an AIDS ribbon? Uh, no, no. But you have to wear an AIDS ribbon. I have to. Yes. Yeah, see, that's why I don't want to. But everyone wears the ribbon. You must wear the ribbon. What you are? You're a ribbon. Hey, hey, come back here. Come back here and put this on. Hey, where's your ribbon? Oh, I don't wear the ribbon. You don't wear the ribbon? Aren't you against AIDS? Yeah, I'm against AIDS. But I'm walking, all right. Just don't wear the ribbon. Who do you think you are? Put the ribbon on. Hey, Cedric, Bob, this guy won't wear a ribbon. Who? Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? <laughs> so, what's it going to be? Are you going to wear the ribbon? No, oh, never. But I'm wearing the ribbon. He's wearing the ribbon. We are all wearing the ribbon. So why aren't you going to wear the ribbon? This is a man. I guess we're just going to have to teach him to wear the ribbon. (laughs) Sound familiar like something else? 
And uh, speaking about that topic, I'm just going to play um, uh, a press conference. I believe this is Cole Beasley. Uh, this is uh, uh, Danny Hemlin. Is that his name? Uh, I just want to make sure I get that right. Uh, yeah, Dan Hemlin. Or pray, Damar Hemlin, I'm sorry, uh, who had cardiac arrest uh, on the field. Uh, this was his teammate uh, on the Buffalo Bills who gave this press conference and won this here. Um, I believe this is his wide receiver, Cole Beasley. And it's just interesting. Um, just wanted to play it. So this is a press conference and it's a little uh, short clip from him. So it says, pray for DeMar. Here we go. Pray for DeMar. This off by saying I'm not anti or pro-vac. I'm pro-choice. With that being said, the issue at hand is information is being withheld from players in order for a player to be swayed in a direction he may not be comfortable with. When dealing with a player's health and safety, there should be complete transparency regarding information that is vital in the decision-making process. Without having all the proper information, a player can feel misguided and unsure about a very personal choice. It makes the player feel unprotected and gives concerns about future topics regarding health and our ability to make educated decisions. With regard to our overall safety, we have to know we are armed with full knowledge and understanding that those who are in a position to help us will always do that based on our individual situation. Some people may think that I'm being selfish and making this a me thing. It is all about the young players who don't have a voice and are reaching out to me every day because they're being told if they don't get back, they'll be cut. Agents are being told by teams if they have unvaccinated guys, they will not be given opportunities as of now to be seen in workouts. So once unvaxxed players get cut, they're losing a dream. They have worked their whole lives for over a vaccine that has proven to not keep people from contracting COVID as we've seen. Every doctor I've gone to with questions begins every sentence with from what we know now, which tells me we don't know enough. The NFLPA is working to have vaccinated players tested more frequently than what the NFL initially stated. Um, a lot of players got the vaccination with the idea that these rules were already set in stone and they're not. It is common sense that if a vaxxed or unvaxxed player is tested less frequently, the likelihood of a player being pulled for COVID drops dramatically. In regard to player safety, I will conclude by saying we all want to be safe. For so many players around the NFL, safety does not solely mean avoiding the COVID virus. Our health is the now and years beyond, which we are trying to protect with our personal choice while doing all the things we did in our protocol during a very successful 2020 NFL season. We love you, Damar. We're praying for you. We want everyone to be healthy. It's a pro-human podcast forever and always. We love humans. We're obsessed with humans. And we are particularly on Team Peasant, but we respect and love everybody, even people who hate our guts and want us to suffer. So subscribe to the Jonathan Kogan Show wherever you get your podcasts. Please share. Follow on Twitter at KOGZ. Donate if you'd like. Patreon.com forward slash ownership economy. Rumble channel. Please subscribe. Trying to get that up. And uh, YouTube, you can also subscribe. All the links are in the descriptions. Thank you for listening to the John the Kogan Show. And thank you for being part of this community. You are loved by somebody because this community loves you. And that is the end of story. All right? God bless. Pro-human, pro-freedom, apolitical, for life. Let's go. Boom, boom. Shang, shang. Bada-bing, bada-boom, bada-bing, bada-boom. We're out. Bye.